there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and you're very welcome to Your Politics Podcast from RTE News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining me this afternoon, we have Sandra Hurley from our political desk. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Paul. And our political guest is Dennis Nocton, the independent TD and former minister. Um, we have you in um, for very good reason, because you know a thing or two about a problem which has bedeviled the government over the past um, couple of weeks, and it's called turf. But before we can have a conversation on turf, it seems to be an issue where you have to have actually either carried out turf or cut turf <laughs> before you're allowed to say anything about it. So personally, um, like most Dubliners, I'm sort of one genera- generation away from the country. So my father is from West Donegal. We had a, a bog, so I at least I carried it out. Didn't cut it. So that's my excuse. What about you? Oh, absolutely. And I, I hated every single day I ever spent uh, in the bog. There was, uh, I had five brothers. Uh, and the six six of us. Um, well, where did you come in the family? Then? I was the eldest, and, uh-huh. and my mother so religiously stuffed. made sure that we got five spreads of turf every summer, uh, so that we spent the the whole summer in the bog instead of at home killing each other. So we spent the summer in the bog killing each other instead of at home. Okay, so uh, the neighbours would probably be so happy about that, Sandra. You know, no romantic attachment there Absolutely anyway. none <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you this one. The trauma. Um, Sandra Hurley, where do you stand on this turf issue? Uh, do you I'm pass the test? no connections to the bog. Grandparents were farmers in Kerry like everybody, like you say, but I'm afraid no no hands-on experience okay. in this. Okay, oh, we'd be mindful of that. Um, can you explain to us why this issue is still an issue not just now in 2022, not just when you were minister, but, you know, going back at more than a decade, we still are talking about turf and it hasn't been possible politically to square it off. Probably one of the first ever debates I was involved in when I came into the Dáil in, in 1997. Actually, before that, when I was in the Senate uh, in January and February 1997, uh, was in relation to this issue of 25 years. Yes. Uh, and that was as a result of the now president, then minister, Michael D. Higgins, uh, signing a ministerial order designating quite a number of bogs across the west of Ireland that effectively you're going to ban turf cutting on them. And this has been a hot political issue uh, since that point, which was only actually resolved uh, during the term of the last government. It was part of the deal in relation to the negotiation of the programme for government a number of those bogs were de-designated, the heat taken out of the issue. Uh, And I recall like what's on the table at the moment was actually presented to me as Minister for the Environment because we've done, did a lot of work at the time in relation to the issue of air quality. And it was an issue that I really wanted as Minister to push forward. Uh, And the very proposals that are on the table at the moment were presented uh, to me. And I sat down with my officials and I explained to them that turf cutting Uh, and burning of turf as a tradition is dying out. It's dying out with the older generation. There is no new house being built today with the fireplace. So they're not burning uh, turf. It is an issue for older people, particularly across the Midland counties, where solid fuel is their only source uh, of fuel in many, many homes. And the way to deal with that is to retrofit uh, those homes. In fact, 
in 19, in uh, 2018, we started a deep retrofit programme specifically targeting uh, those houses. Sadly, that scheme was suspended in 2019. That was projected by 2021 to be retrofitting 45,000 homes uh, a year. The plan for this year under Eamon Ryan is to retrofit 22,000 uh, homes. So what has happened between uh, 2018 and now, there has been a dramatic curtailment in terms of the scale of retrofitting, which is causing the problem that we're dealing with at the moment. And I think it's important for listeners to remember, what's this issue about? Which is just what I was yeah. going to bring, this bring issue, you to. This yeah. issue is supposed to be about, although we've it's got lost in the fog of war, or maybe the bog of war, is supposed to be about air pollution. And the statistic that Eamon Ryan used citing it to European Union sources, is that 1,300 people are dying every year on account of that. And that's not alone asthma or any other issue. Well, Eamon Ryan doesn't need to quote anyone in Europe. This was actually a cross-border study that was done by the executive in Northern Ireland and the Irish government uh, during the time of Alan Kelly, I think, was was minister at the time. And it was published on a cross-border uh, basis. And, and what, what year was that? Because it was interesting, Pierce Doherty was quoting statistics from 2007 in relation to people dying from fuel poverty. So do you have a, a year for that? Uh, well, it, it, was when, it was published when Alan Kelly was minister. Okay. So that was... Uh, between 2014 and 2016, sometime uh, around that period. And I, as Minister, really prioritised the issue of of air quality. We actually had the first draft of of the Clean Air Strategy, Ireland's first clean air strategy at the time. Believe it or not, five years later, that has yet to be published, uh, that clean air strategy. And there was a two-strand approach in relation to it. One was in relation to the issue of air quality, which I'll deal with in a second. The other was that if you improve air quality, you dramatically reduce carbon emissions as well. So there's a double benefit in relation to it. In relation to air quality, we have today in Ireland a situation where one in five children suffer from asthma. One in 14 adults in this country suffer from COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. In fact, those people make up 10% of the hospital population at any one time. Now, that was pre-COVID. I don't know what the figures are today. Now, if you've witnessed a child with an asthma attack gasping for their breath, you cannot defend the situation that we have in this country in burning smoky coal, in burning wet timber, in burning uh, fossil fuels, including uh, peat briquettes. And the decision that we took at the time was that we would phase out smoky coal uh, and briquettes, uh, set criteria for the sale, for the retail sale of, of timber. And look, the reality is turf isn't sold in a retail setting there wasn't any statutory structure in relation to it. And the way to deal with turf was to retrofit the homes so there was no need to burn turf in the first place. I mean, it was mentioned um, yesterday by the Taoiseach Michael Martin in relation to any proposal which is being finessed by the Environment Minister Eamon Ryan having to go to the European Commission. When you say you'd squared it off during your time as Minister, how confident are you that either A, it would survive any legal challenge because the coal industry was saying you can't pick us out you have to have a cross-the-board measure. And secondly, even if it did survive an Irish legal challenge, that it was going to be okay with Europe, that you're effectively saying, you know, briquettes we'll deal with, but turf, should we just let that die out? Well, we'd already got sign-off from the Commission at the time uh, when we were bringing the proposals forward back uh, in 2018. 
Then we had the issue in relation to the legal challenge regarding two uh, importers in Northern Ireland that were importing coal uh, from continental Europe. Um, and, you know, it's a question of, at the moment, now that they're outside the European Union, where that, whether that's an issue or not. And remember, the industry here had already bought into that. But what you were talking about in the issue at the time was the regulated industry, and that is peat briquettes. Turf is not sold in, in any type of structured format. There isn't a, a definition, a legal definition uh, of turf uh, out there per se. There isn't a standard uh, in relation to that. Anyone that comes from a rural area and that's been in bogs, people know there's certain bogs you cut turf out of, there's other bogs you leave it because the quality of turf uh, is very poor out of that. So uh, that is the reality of it. You, you're never going to be able to regulate that sector. How do you measure moisture content but on the in relation issue, to turf? But whatever that as a general discussion in relation to, but on the legal issue, were you confident that uh, because that um, legal threat was coming down the line that effectively putting to one side saying, well, we haven't quantified it, therefore we don't know about it and it's going to die out anyway, therefore it's okay no, the, and it'll the, survive the challenge. the issue in terms of the legal threat and the advice that was there at the time was in relation to peat briquettes okay. because they were a direct competitor to coal on the market and we had taken the decision that we were going to phase that out in conjunction with Bordnamona. You were on Shannon Side Radio or at least a clip of you was on Shannon Side Radio earlier on this week and there was two things you had to say. One was in relation to that when you were looking at the measure back as a minister that there was an idea of replacement fuels and I was wondering what type of replacement fuels you might have been thinking about. The second thing you were saying was that the government um, was in danger of making things worse and that was from the, the fact that people who maybe were buying turf might now feel that that was going to be cut off or, or, or they're prevented, so they might start opening up their own bogs. Maybe if you take that issue first. Yeah, so it, the, the concern that I have in relation to this is that once a bog is opened, even if there's never a sod of turf taken out of it, once a bog is opened, it actually emits carbon into the atmosphere. Now, I know today there are neighbours of mine uh, across uh, the Midlands who are now digging out the old records in relation to where their plot of turf is, cleaning up the face of that bank to go and cut turf. Because if they can't buy turf off their neighbour, they're now going to cut on their own bank. And by opening up that bank, you're actually emitting carbon into the environment. So we're better off dealing with the turf banks that are there and that are already open uh, and, and the turf coming out of that than actually opening up additional yeah. banks of turf, which actually emit more carbon into the environment. And that's the same thing that happened back when Michael D. Higgins brought in the ban in 1996 because people who had no interest in turf, who had actually converted many of their central heating systems to oil, went and started to reopen their bogs again because when something has been been denied from someone, they want to express their rights. I'm going to bring in Sandra Hurley in one minute just in relation to what's going to happen now, what Eamon Ryan is planning and how the opposition are dealing with it. But just coming back to that issue of replacement fuels, or is that something that I picked up wrong in relation no, to... No, you definitely picked it up wrong. Like the, the replacement and the solution to this is to retrofit, retrofit the homes. And like the reality is the people that are using turf are getting older. It, it, turf is a very dirty, messy fuel, creating a lot of ash. And what we wanted to do was to make life easier for those older people. And the best way to do that is to make their homes far warmer, far more comfortable. And where we did the retrofit pilots, uh, and we piloted it here in Dublin, okay. we found that actually those people got sick less. And when they did go into hospital, they were discharged far quicker 
back into their own home. So there was huge health benefits uh, by retrofitting these homes. Um, as uh, Dennis has mentioned there, it is supposed to be about air quality, but in political terms, it's most certainly not. Where is Eamon Ryan in relation to finessing his proposals and what's your sense about how successful a coalition might be in boxing this one off? Well, Eamon Ryan has to go off and work on the fine detail of this and try and bring some clarity as to what exactly is proposed. I think clarity has been missing from this the whole way along over how it emerged and how it has evolved. His first sort of uh, concession, I think, about um, this being allowed in smaller areas with a population of fewer than 500 people, that has not flown with backbenchers in the coalition. And I think their views are very entrenched. So he's going to have to do something further, I think, to make it palatable to them. It was interesting at Leader's Questions this morning, he didn't reveal any detail about what he's thinking. He was very much defending the measure as being necessary for air quality, presenting it in health terms, as Dennis has been discussing, but he didn't give anything away. As for the opposition, Sinn Féin has simply said, now is not the right time. And they know that they, they are going to continue to try and exploit this as much as they can because of those divisions in the coalition. I think, however, they will find a solution. Um, the Taoiseach Michal Martin has been very clear and I think somewhat conciliatory. On the one hand, he's saying backbenchers like Barry Cowan have done a you know, very good job in presenting their views, but he's saying there's going to be a pragmatic solution. And I think they will sort it out. It's just going to have to take a little bit of time and it'll be interesting to see, can the Greens present that as not being so diluted that they've lost sight of what they're trying to achieve in the first place. So it, it's clearly, it's not easy. Um, Dennis, could you give some advice to Eamon Ryan now, who's sitting at his table considering what he's going to do, whether or not your advice would be taken is another thing. But if you're going to make a suggestion saying, I know you're in a hole, but the way to get out of it is, what would you say? Well, look, I, I think he needs to go back to, to what was there back in 2018 and focus on the issue of smoky retail fuels in terms of coal, in terms of briquettes, uh, in terms of, of timber uh, and focus on those. They are the regulated sectors that are there. There are specific standards for putting those products onto the market and, and that's what he needs to focus on. The reality is if he wants to deal with the issue of turf and I would like to see that issue dealt with, the only effective way to do that is to retrofit. And the difficulty is I've signed up for the deep retrofit on my own home uh, and I'm being told by the contractor now, we still do not have detail. It'll be the end of the year. So I'm going to, so this target he set of even 22,000 homes this year, he's not actually going to achieve it. So we're a further year down the road before we're seeing a ramping up of the retrofitting that can effectively deal with this problem once and for all. Okay, one other quick issue, Sandra, just in relates to um, Robert Watt and um, going before the Health Committee next Wednesday of Turf was last week's conversation. Uh, Mr. Watt is most likely to be next week. Tell us something about that and then I'll ask Dennis for his opinion on it. Yeah, there'll be a huge focus on this next week. It'll be seen as something of, you know, a showdown, Robert Watt coming in when so many committees have been looking for him. He's going to the Health Committee. I think very clearly he didn't want to go to the Finance Committee. Uh, the Minister, um, Stephen Donnelly, has said he will go to the Health Committee in time as well. I wonder how much extra we will learn Robert Watt is very much going to have to defend his position, though, because he seems to have been absolutely at the centre of devising this position for Dr. Tony Houlihan. And what we learned, which was astonishing, was that it wasn't just that Dr. Houlihan's wages, pension contributions and whatever would be paid by the state. Instead, it's this entire package, a professorship, which was going to cost two million a year over 10 years. So who precisely came up with that detail and how, how did it um, turn into the controversy that it did? 
Dennis Nocton, it's going to be some bun fight. Um, what's your sense of what the sum results? Well, there might be an awful lot of heat, but will there be much light? Well, look, I have to say that, that I was really surprised. I, I agree with the principle of what was involved here. Uh, but I have to say I was really surprised over the amount of money that we're talking about of €2 million Euro a year, the fact that it was an open-ended uh, secondment in relation to it. My big fear is that as a result of all of this now, we won't see secondments genuine secondments from the public service uh, into academia. And that's going to be bad in terms of the relationship and the flow of information from our universities into our public service, into the whole decision-making process. And ultimately, politics and the political system as a whole will, will suffer as a result. Dennis Nocton, Independent TD. Thanks very much for joining us on your politics podcast today. Sandra, if I can pick up with you on that. I mean, you're going to have um, an all-party um, committee sitting there. They're going to be asking multiple questions. But um, is it really possible to elicit more light without having that report that Stephen Donnelly has been calling? And does that not necessarily justify uh, the minister's position that maybe you hang off until you get the independent report before you really sort of go attacking this issue? That definitely is a problem for the committee because we have had Robert Watts' report and clearly when he comes in in front of the committee, he will be repeating the views that he put forward in his report. But I think they still will have the opportunity to press him on how exactly this was devised. Where did the idea come from? Uh, in what, How early was Dr. Houlihan involved or was it Robert Watt? Who approached the universities? Other universities were involved. It's not just Trinity College. There's a lot of questions there that the politicians will be hoping uh, that they can elicit some answers about. And we're joined by Micheál Lehan, our political correspondent. What's your sense of it? On the one hand, you've got the Secretary General of the Department of Health, Robert Watt, defending his position and his decisions. But does that bleed into an issue for the coalition government as well? Well, I suppose the fact that it's not happening and ultimately the politicians can kind of claim they were kept in the dark about the details. But I think there is one fascinating line in that fairly lengthy explanation that Robert Watt gave to Stephen Donnelly, where he spoke about Martin Fraser, the secretary to the government and the secretary general at the Department of the Taoiseach, asking him in early March, was he working on the details? And it's that conversation. Martin Fraser doesn't know the exact details. No one claims that. And he again restated that at a committee yesterday. But he did infer from that statement that there was political support, absolute political support within government buildings for what he was doing. So he thought he'd carte blanche from that moment on. So it's how ultimately, I think, Stephen Donnelly, when it, in a few weeks' time, when he goes before the Health Committee, explains that one, uh, explains how Robert Watt thought uh, he had the full uh, powers here to, to draw up these contracts and draw up the, these kind of agreements. The idea of maybe you should name some names which left you with that impression. Yeah, I mean, he clearly thought there was an understanding that things were going in a, in a certain direction. But you can equally see how the alarm bells started ringing uh, so strongly and the Taoiseach using that word pause, which really was, was code for it, it's game up and it's game over. And it'll be interesting to do Go back. You, that happened when he was in Finland, was it? I think yeah. in Helsinki, and you were there at the time. Like, yeah. what was the mood like? Well, it was kind of very, it was kind of very low key, and it was just dropped in towards the end of of a press conference that he was giving, uh, having spoken at length about the wisdom of the Finnish president and and the type of conversation they'd had. Then, when the issues came back to domestic ones, this word pause. Uh, just crept in. Uh, uh, but from there on in, it was, it was very clear what was happening. I think it's interesting too to hear what Tony Hoolan says to, to the committee because 
the genesis of all this goes all the way back to August of last year. It's at that point that Tony Houlihan and Robert Watt begin to have discussions about the future. They're looking at international roles, probably, and academic roles as well. But there's another pause button pressed along the way because you've two variants of COVID uh, come along through the winter months. So it's only early in the new year again that things really get underway in earnest and the big books it seems were were begun to be put down on paper. The big mood, I mean that's two legs of the stool. There's also the question of Trinity College Dublin. We're not going to hear from them uh, before the Health Committee. Um, are we going to hear from them, do you think? Are they open to the same level of questioning that the Department of Health would be and for example um, the politicians? I think they are open to the same level of questioning. I expect there's more to come out because people have sought information under FOI from Trinity College and the department. So I think there'll be people are looking for the documentation here. Uh, how much of this did Trinity College come up with some of the idea? We seem to be led to believe that they were approached. Uh, also, how much did the board sign off on? How much of the details did they know? So I think there is more to play out. Um, there's some interesting dynamics going on in the background as well, which is this little argument between the committees over who should call, you know, who should call in Robert Watt and which committee should he go before. Uh, I think even the Taoiseach has spoken of perhaps this is a little unseemly to have committees all calling in the same person. Now, the committees disagree. The Finance Committee would see its role as dealing with its also public expenditure, as watching over public money being spent. The Health Committee obviously has the health remit. But from the point of view of witnesses, it's obviously not ideal to go before several committees to be asked the same questions by a different set of politicians and that's something that we just haven't seen settled in the Oireachtas, this idea of different committees chasing the same controversy. Where, where do you stand on this issue of the possibility of compelability that um, Mr Watt would be ordered um, to go before the Finance it Committee to be... won't happen. It, it, compelability Is that you're calling up, it now? Absolutely. Nil, it no chance. Up, comes up now and again and it is a political lever that perhaps at some point uh, will be used. But I don't see it here, given that Robert Watt is going before a committee. But I suppose equally, when John McGuinness talks about this being a matter of public expenditure, that that's what it was. Uh, so he does have fairly solid grounds for saying it should go before his committee. Always when this question emerges about committees and too many committees seeking the same witnesses, John McGuinness is there and he's at the centre of it. And that there's a reason for that, is that the most abrasive type of questioning and in the past at times definitely the most effective type of questioning are from committees run by John McGuinness and I think it's only fair that if anyone had the option of going to another committee given the track record given the way a committee run by John McGuinness uh, may go and the type of questioning that could come up it was even fairly clear signals and samples of that yesterday with Martin Fraser, the, the particular style, that if they had another alternative, uh, they might go in that direction quicker. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for a passing observer of politics, you mightn't have known that John McGuinness is part of the government when he was talking about his view on how the government has handled the issue. Yes, but it's a consistent pattern as well, isn't it? John McGuinness has... It has been pointed out at all points called for party leaders uh, of his party to go along the way. He is someone who's within the parliamentary party at all times, hasn't lost the whip at any point, uh, but yet is a, a fairly strong critic of how the party and how the government acts. There was a, an interesting contribution too when he seemed to raise a flag for the Justice for Barry Cowan campaign, talking about due process and how that wasn't afforded to him, but for the Taoiseach saying it should be afforded to others. Of course, the Taoiseach's words in relation to Robert Watt were interesting as well on Tuesday when he spoke about trying to avoid a witch hunt, uh, perhaps giving an indication of his feelings as to how this is going to proceed now. And this is 
unusual, I suppose. Perhaps. I mean, I think he was giving an indication. He lobbed it in there and says there's an element of or a chink of or there was yeah. some just passing reference yeah. like that. But that's understandable too, isn't it? Given the, the type of questioning and the unsatisfactory answers that some politicians sought uh, that they received around the type of salary that Robert Watt receives and the way in which that was all agreed by yeah. government. What's your sense of it? Um, all in all, um, Michal is calling it um, Mr. Watt to go before one committee. He'll give an answer. Um, then we've got the Minister for Health coming in a couple of weeks after. I'm just wondering, after the Minister comes in, is the committee structure likely to want to turn the wheel again and ask Mr Watt to come back on the basis of some of the answers that um, uh, Minister Donnelly gives? I mean, this could run and run. Um, I think certainly the Health Committee has the advantage here in terms of the witnesses. I, I would agree with Michal. You know, they're, 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 if... Robert Watt and the health minister have agreed to go in, for, in front of one committee. There's no need for another committee necessarily uh, to uh, try to compel them to come in so that that effort may die out. Uh, will it go on for longer? I, it depends what the individuals say when they come in. Uh, Stephen Donnelly seemed to indicate, you know, he was out of the loop. He wasn't across the details of this. So there's probably slightly more focus on Robert Watt. But the opposition have always focused on what they would see as a lack of oversight by Stephen Donnelly of his department. He is the senior minister. He's supposed to be the person in charge. If he didn't know what was going on, the opposition would say, why didn't he know? So there'll be a big focus on both of them. And just to close, um, Michal, you were reporting earlier on today about, you know, once again, we're talking about committees and a member of a committee, a senator, decided to stand down um, from a committee this week on the basis that um, she felt that she wasn't safe and it uh, a sort of a very um, unusual thing to happen. And then today we had the chair of a committee coming out and putting everyone on notice that effectively they needed to behave when they were exchanging with people who were being invited in to speak as well. Yes, Jennifer Whitmore, the chair of the International Surrogacy Committee, talking about... It seems independent Senator uh, Sharon Keoghan last week, of course, there was controversy uh, around how uh, all of that proceeded and when certain witnesses were there and the, the tone that she struck. Committees can become abrasive. We've seen that there have been contentious issues dealt with before at that level. So I suppose, will anything change ultimately as a result of that? Will there on occasion uh, be committees that will become too abrasive? I think that continues. Michal Lanhar, political correspondent. Sandra Hurley, our political reporter, thanks very much for joining us on your Politics podcast from RTE News. Um, If you're listening to this on the podcast, please do subscribe. Please do leave a review if you're watching on telly. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you next time.